It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. And this is a time, it pains me to say it, this country really needs to pull together. We need to put aside the acrimony. We need to join together because this country, we are led to believe, is under siege. I've also indicated over the length of this show that on those rare occasions where Trump and his supporters have proven me wrong, I would happily come out and admit it. Well, now is such a time. To Trump supporters, Republicans who might be listening, Fox News viewers who may have, may have accidentally wandered in, I have to admit it, you are right. This whole coronavirus scare has been a liberal plot. Don't be tools. Don't listen to what the liberal media is telling you in its efforts to get rid of Donald Trump and make him look bad. Lick your hands before and after shaking them with each other. This whole thing is just to stop Trump rallies, so don't let that fool you. Go to Trump rallies. Go to wherever it is that you people hang out. Rodeos, car races. I mean, they won't be running those things, but you can still hang out with like-minded people. Where you can shake each other's hands. Hell, you can lick each other's faces with the same tongues that you've been using to lick Donald Trump's ass. Just keep watching Fox because they've got this nailed down. This whole thing is just liberal fear-mongering. So go ahead and hang out with each other. Kiss a lot. Show each other that you really, really care. Attend a CPAC convention. A Trump rally. You know how it goes. Okay, you Trump supporters can just run along now. It's probably something really good to watch on Fox News. And I understand the Nazis are having a group hug right now that you probably want to join. For those of you who are left, my faithful listeners and People with brains who are capable of doing more than uh, making them breathe while they sleep. Thanks for joining us today. Though, really, what else were you going to do? I mean, other than a Trump attending a Trump rally, there's pretty much nothing left for you to do these days. Everything's been canceled. Every group activity. I know Islanders fans are pissed that the NHL has surrendered its season before Their collapse has been fully completed. Yes, there was some other news in the world. You wouldn't know it in the past week. Uh, We, for instance, made a secret peace agreement with the Taliban. Too good to be seen by American viewers, by American eyes. We'll undoubtedly have more on this on a future show. But in keeping with the instructions of the moment, we're going to focus today's show on the coronavirus. Have no fear, we will also be spending a few minutes talking about the dramatic turn in the Democratic race. We'll be talking about the current state of that race and what the future pretends for the Democratic Party. But anyway, let's let's get right into it. My take on the latest with the coronavirus, or since we're now on a first-name basis, COVID-19. The crisis grows. It is now officially a pandemic, something that I've been labeling it for weeks. I guess I just jumped the gun on that one. But now international officials have 
conceded that it is in fact a global pandemic. We should, we are told, expect massive infections and deaths. And worse than that, as I keep reporting, the stock market is crashing. So this is affecting even wealthy people. Despite some bounce back today, Friday the 13th, the signs are just are just all over out there. Despite some bounce back today, uh, which is keeping the stock market above where it was when Donald Trump took office. Way to go, Donald. Uh, we are officially in a bear market. Having gone down by more than 20%, uh, which means for some of us, well, my students are real excited about this because I've already informed them that uh, they will be wheeling me in to teach when I am drooling all over myself. Of course, my students reminded me that I'm pretty much currently drooling all over myself. But aside from that fact, when I'm really old and they have to wheel me in, I will still be teaching because there goes all my retirement money or 20-something percent of it. Anyway, stock market bear territory, or as Donald Trump and his economic lead economic advisor, the TV guy, put it, stocks look like a great option. You know, three weeks ago or a week ago when they put it before the stock market utterly tanked. Way to go, Donald. Way to go, Larry Kudlow. But of course, you do not need to hear from me about the state of the coronavirus and what it's doing to this country. Unless you are living in a bunker somewhere, and that bunker does not have access to TV, the internet, radio, anything like that, or you are a member of the Trump administration, which, let's face it, you probably are not. You are inundated with talk about the coronavirus, as generally you should be. So I'm going to focus in this brief discussion today on what to make of it and what it says about the fact that the United States is essentially rudderless, leaderless, and of course, what it says about our choices that we're going to be making, if we're lucky, later on this year. First, as far as the fact that this country is utterly, utterly rudderless. You know, it's one thing I've been talking since this show started about how Donald Trump is an incompetent who has no interest in running this country and therefore hasn't been doing it basically. But it takes a crisis like this to sort of realize the extent to which, well, people like me have been right, anyone paying attention. What we have seen coming out of the so-called leader of the free world, leader of the United States anyway, just remarkable, spectacular incompetence mixed with, with utter selfishness, inability to think about anybody but himself, incredible narcissism, no U.S. global leadership whatsoever during this crisis. We are reminded about its absence every time we hear about this crisis, about how this world should be looking to leadership at this point. And if it's doing that, it might just as well look to the outgoing PM of Germany or the Prime Minister of Canada, because it sure as hell isn't going to look to what used to be called the leader of the free world. Now, in part, of course, that's because after three years of misrunning everything, nobody in the world respects him. Again, I've talked about this at length over the course of my show, but this is where it really matters and where it's really telling. Even if Trump were inclined to lead, he can't lead because there'd be nobody willing to follow other than his moron base and they don't count. 
This is what happens when you squander any hope at leadership, when you squander any idea that anybody in the world will respect you. But of course, that comes not only from the way he has distanced himself from our allies and he picks fights with everyone, it is it stems primarily from the fact that he has done absolutely nothing right. All right, maybe that's a little unfair. Absolutely nothing right. So just told my students the other day, as is famously stated, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So I'm sure, at least in theory, that it was unfair of me to say that he's done nothing right. But he has been an embarrassment and a joke to this country. And now these chickens are coming home to roost. He has been an embarrassment and a joke. And make no mistake, it has led to the exacerbation of this crisis. Our ability to do anything about it and show leadership when leadership needs to be shown. Starting, of course, with the disbanding of the pandemic control team in the White House. He had to do that because President Blackie Black had set up the pandemic control team, so he had to undo that. The fact that he is so ignorant, he asks in public if we could cure this with a flu shot. He has told people against the wishes of everybody who knows what they're talking about that they should go to work. He talks about how decisions and what he thinks is going to happen are based on his hunches rather than facts or science. More on that later. He talks about how this crisis is not a crisis and we're t- we've totally got it under control when in fact the exact opposite is true. Here's a quiz. Who famously said, this is, these words are going to go down with heck of a job, Brownie, from George W. Bush to FEMA director Michael Brown as he was letting an American city die. We're going very substantially down, not up, referring to the number of infections in late February was Donald Trump. As if his idiotic remarks, his failure to show leadership and give anyone any confidence that we are going to handle this crisis, including the stock market. He gave what was effectively a comatose speech from the Oval Office of the White House a couple of days ago. Basically comatose, brain dead. Where the President of the United States made it clear not only that he has absolutely no idea what the hell this pandemic is all about, he doesn't even know what the hell his own policies are are all about. He can't even be burdened to learn what his policies are. During the speech, the White House had to keep issuing clarifications in real time. Like, for instance, he would be blocking virtually all people in cargo coming in from Europe. Turns out, not true. Lie after lie about how well we are doing in that speech and otherwise. Again, having to be corrected in real time about how the U.S. is more prepared than similarly afflicted countries, regardless of what our healthcare infrastructure was ever like before he started. This completely ignores the fact that we have a moron as president of the United States, and thus we are not more prepared, or at least not better able to act, than all the countries around us who have been acting better than we are and have shown themselves to be more prepared. We have it so well under control. I mean, we really have done a very good job leading 
Dr. Anthony Fauci, maybe our most respected uh, voice, scientific voice on this matter to say, we have nothing under control. And no, we are clearly not doing a good job. Uh-oh, looks like Anthony Fauci had better be looking for a new job pretty soon. Oh, then of course, there were the comments about, for instance, our testing is amazing. This this was just too much. It was, it was again, just comical. You can't write this stuff. He actually went out and compared our testing infrastructure. The testing we're doing is beautiful. And he compared it to his Ukraine phone call. The, you know, the phone call that got him impeached. He talks about how anyone who wants a test can have one. Where nobody who needs a test almost can get one. Few people who need a test can actually get one. He has demonstrated throughout that the only thing he cares about is covering his ass. CYA, an important business term, was one of the few things learned in business by Donald Trump. Although, he probably learned it way before then, let's be honest, it's Donald Trump. He's been covering his ass, well, probably since he was in a diaper. So, at 15 or so. Yes, maybe we should look and say, oh, maybe finally Donald Trump learned a little bit about history. He seems to have incorporated uh, FDR's famous warning that all we have to fear is fear itself about the Great Depression. Except, of course, showing that he doesn't understand the concept of nuance. Because we actually have something to fear this time. It's called a virus. We also have to fear the fact that we have an incompetent and unwilling president to fight that virus and to fight on behalf of the people of this country. He has spent the last several weeks confirming what an absolute loser he is. And that is why part of his game over the last few weeks, his strategy to protect this country, of course, has been the usual engaging in the blame game. Blaming everyone around him, everyone not around him, everyone but himself, who, of course, is doing a beautiful job. In reality, of course, Donald Trump will not get enough blame. Inevitably, there will not be enough blame hoisted upon him. And people and the media will assist them in doing this will be too quick to say that Donald Trump is not responsible for an international pandemic. He's not, though he is responsible for a lack of response to it and therefore aggravating the situation. He has been playing the dog whistle game with his whole ferner strategy. We're going to keep all those ferners out. You know who those people are. It's the others. He's, that's why he's back to talking about his border wall in the midst of this crisis. Every public health official having said that the border wall has nothing to do with this. The apparently six cases, I think it was, currently confirmed in Mexico. He finally declares a national emergency today. So I'm getting ready to, to go on to the show to record. Trump finally declared a national emergency. Hooray! That, we are reminded, gives more power to some of his underlings. Some of you listening may say, well, the President of the United States is a complete moron, but we've said from the very beginning that the institutions of the United States will hold us together. I've said from the very beginning that these are the institutions of the United States that Donald Trump has been destroying piece by piece. What do I mean by that? Well, the national emergency is going to give more power to Alex Azar, Health and Human Services. Alex Azar, a long-term listener, is right, remember, whose previous experience with disaster management was attending his high school reunion during the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. 
and who then went on to show his compassionate side by calling our child separation policy at the Mexican border, where we were ripping children from the arms of their mothers and hiding them. He called that policy generous. Yes, so we should be really uplifted that Alex Azar is on the case. And, of course, more power will go to the recently confirmed FEMA director, Pete Gaynor. Yes, at least he's actually been confirmed. He spent a long time as an acting director. Well, a fairly long time as an acting director. Remember, Trump really likes acting directors. After the last two picks, including the last, act, the last acting director, was forced out because of various misconduct. So, yes, we have this going for us where we are reminded that the president's desire to hollow out the United States government and put in place incompetence in every important area. Well, this is something we're going to have to deal with now. Yes, doesn't this all make you feel warm and fuzzy when it comes to how we're going to deal with coronavirus? Um, let's, try to, let's try to look positively at this for a little bit. Ask, ask a question I asked several weeks ago. Is schadenfreude bad? Is it bad to be excited at the misery of people you don't like? And I ask that question because there is an upside to this crisis for some of us, and that is seeing what's happened within the Republican Party and the conservative base. The growing Republican quarantines of our politicians and conservative activists. The best news of the week the CPAC conference. Yeah, schadenfreude. I know, it sounds awful that I'm rooting for these people to actually get sick. So I should make it clear up front. I, I'm just playing around here and I, 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 am, I am actually rooting for these people to get sick. Really, really, really sick. People like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. This was, I was happy to note, quarantined himself along with several other GOP senators. Of course, in... Ted Cruz's case, you can't really tell the difference, I guess, when he quarantines himself. As he puts it, he's hanging out with all of his buddies. I don't know. Uh, maybe Ted Cruz can hang around with the soon-to-be-quarantined Harvey Weinstein, who, just to be on the safe side, will be quarantined for up to 23 years. But we don't get to talk about that yet because we're focusing on the coronavirus. So I'll move on from that one. What we... Also, perhaps, could take some hope from, a little bit of optimism, a little bit of reason to look forward, is, of course, that this is another win for the progressive agenda. Yes, Trump is wrongly claiming that we've created this crisis and manufactured it to promote a liberal agenda or to promote Democratic politicians. Nobody has done that. But the fact is, as Stephen Colbert so brilliantly said to then-President Bush, we are learning once again that reality has a well-known liberal bias. And right now, Americans are confronted, are being slapped in the face with a whole big dose of reality. The progressive agenda that is now getting a second, third, fourth look from a lot of this country, not you know the Republican faithful, of course, but those people who aren't brain dead, sick leave, Mandatory paid sick leave kind of seems like a good idea now. I've been talking about this for the last several weeks. Improving the social safety net so people 
don't develop comorbidities that make them more likely to suffer from this virus. People can be well-fed, well-taken care of. Flex time for work, giving people the opportunity, more opportunity to take care of themselves and their family when they're sick. Family leave. All now back on the agenda. And frankly, seeming, I think, even to people who haven't been paying attention and realize what good ideas these are, it maybe seem like a good idea to some of them too. Healthcare. Gee, all of a sudden, Bernie Sanders is probably sitting there going, why couldn't this have happened a few weeks ago? All of a sudden, Medicare for all doesn't really seem like such a terrible idea, does it? Letting people go to a doctor. You know what else doesn't seem like a bad idea? Addressing climate change. I've been talking for years in class and on this show about the fact that this is the kind of thing that is going to be more common because of climate change. Not saying at this point the coronavirus is a result of climate change. May yet be, but we don't know that. But we've all been talking for years. Scientists, people know a lot more than me on the subject, have been talking for years about how climate change is moving bugs to places further north than they've than they've ever been. It is unfreezing viruses that have long been frozen. It is going to lead to greater and greater epidemics and pandemics, greater and greater public health risks. I've been talking about that for years in a vacuum. I guess it's a little bit different now that I'm seeing it up close. I'm seeing what it really means. I'm seeing people scared all around me. But yes, this is what climate change is going to do, among all the other things that it's going to do. This is a reminder to anybody who's willing to pay any attention at all about the importance of competent government. Trump has come out in the last few days and belatedly proposed the usual GOP bromides. Whenever anything bad happens in America, stick with your usual program. There'll be tax cuts. You can bet that ultimately those tax cuts will go to wealthy people. There'll be industry bailouts already on the table, including bailouts for the oil industry, fossil fuel industry, just what we do not need. As he makes clear that his re-election is his goal, bailing out, trying to save the country to the extent that he could push off the damage until after November. In fact, he actually said out loud to his aides that he is hoping to push this off somehow until after the election, the day of reckoning. Whereas on the other side, we are seeing the Democratic Party actually propose things that are intelligent and that are designed to deal with the problem at hand, not the usual talking points. Well, some of them are the usual talking points, but at least in their case, the usual talking points are addressing the issue at hand. Trump keeps saying the Democrats are just looking for an advantage. Again, let's point out, by the way, the Democrats are trying to fix the country. And curiouser and curiouser, if the Democrats actually fix the country in the next few months and really help, who's going to get credit for that? Trump's going to get credit for that. And yet, while the Republicans, when Obama was the president, engaged in a scorcher strategy at all times, let's destroy this country so Obama gets blamed for it. The Democrats, once again, are showing that they actually put the interests of the country first. Despite, imagine that, what Donald Trump says about the Democrats just looking to make political advantage out of this. The Democrats are actually trying to fix the country for the sake of all of us, including Donald Trump. We're seeing that with the bill 
that's put together by the Democratic Congress, apparently with the input of Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, apparently unbeknownst to Donald Trump, who is at the same time belittling and attacking the same bill. Democrats in that bill and otherwise have been proposing the things that I talked about before. They've been proposing free testing of everybody, even without health insurance. And yes, paid sick leave. They've been proposing increased Medicaid payments to states to help them better handle the crisis. And more for people in need to help them better survive the crisis. Joe Biden, who, yes, is about to be the Democratic presidential nominee, barring a remarkable uh, series of events, shows what actual leadership looks like. When he came out and echoed the Democratic proposals with a few of his own as well, letting FEMA open up hospitals, the Department of Defense utilize its military resources and bring them to America to help out what will be struggling hospitals that will be overwhelmed. You already know this with the crisis. Food for kids. Kids, help with people who are going to have problems making their mortgage payments over the next few months. Help for, here's, here's again, here's the distinction between Democrats and Republicans. Help for humans. And it looks at this point, to a large extent, like the GOP is going to have to bear it. Oh yeah, already in Congress they've come out against this. It's a little too generous. We're not sure we can afford this when we're cutting taxes on billionaires. We have more important priorities, like giving money to oil companies. But the GOP is not in a very good position here. And they're not going to be able to derail this, I can't imagine, for all that long, that much longer. You can't really be shown to be holding things up when you have nothing to offer yourself and the other side is actually offering solutions that will help people. I think one of the most telling things regarding the Congressional Democrats' proposals was reflected at the end of Nancy Pelosi's statement where she was introducing those proposals to America. And I will quote her. As we develop our next steps, we will continue to listen to and benefit from the expertise of scientists, healthcare professionals, public health officials, and community leaders so that we can craft the most effective evidence-based responses. What does that sound like to everybody? Let me, let me translate for anybody who hasn't been paying close attention. Fuck you, GOP. Fuck you, Republicans. That's right. Doesn't really sound that way, does it? One wouldn't think that talking about listening to scientists would be partisan. That listening to healthcare professionals would be partisan. That listening to public health officials would be partisan and community leaders. Or that crafting the most effective evidence-based responses would be something that would be partisan. But it is. Because let's remember that science and evidence are now strictly partisan. If you believe in science and evidence, well, that means you side with the Democrats. So that puts in, I guess, further stark relief what's at stake in 2020 and what's at stake with the Democratic race. And before I leave, and though I'm honor-bound to spend all my time on the coronavirus, I want to spend a few minutes because there's been such dramatic changes in the Democratic race since I spoke to you last. Just absolutely remarkable. A lot to catch up on in just a little over a week. 
where it looked like Bernie Sanders was going to go into the Democratic Convention under any circumstances with a plurality of delegates. It is now overwhelmingly apparent that, in fact, it will be Joe Biden. What a difference a week plus makes. And, of course, we have ourselves scratching our heads, as we as I did on the last show, saying when it was down to basically two, does, does anything really matter here? We're basically just down to whatever people were thinking they were going to do before any of this started, any of the debates, anything, that nothing really matters. Well, of course, we've learned over last week that some things matter at least a little bit. You know, it's, it's kind of conventional political wisdom that basically endorsements don't mean anything. Ask the New York Times. Their dual endorsements this year for president didn't seem to have any impact on the race whatsoever. Historically, endorsements don't seem to mean very much, but boy, was that not the case this time. Where one can say that Jim Clyburn, a a representative in South Carolina, may be almost single-handedly responsible for who the Democratic nominee is going to be for president. By all appearances, his endorsement in South Carolina shortly before the South Carolina election was instrumental in changing the minds or in making up the minds of South Carolinian voters, who then gave Joe Biden the overwhelming victory in South Carolina that he needed and expected, and which led into Super Tuesday and the following less but somewhat super, was it also Tuesday this week? I can't even remember. And just one victory after another for Joe Biden, which has completely changed the race. Just absolutely remarkable that a representative in South Carolina, and frankly, South Carolina, who would have expected the Democratic Party would say, whence goes South Carolina, there goes the Democratic Party. By the way, a state that they have no chance of winning in 2020 will determine the, basically have determined the Democratic nominee. It is absolutely remarkable. After Michigan this week, where Bernie Sanders was putting kind of his last hopes for a miraculous turnaround, after he didn't get that, it is pretty clear to everyone, including Bernie Sanders, apparently, given the speech he made this week, that it's all over except for the shouting, barring some dramatic turn of events. But again, a reminder to all of our listeners, as Joe Biden marches, apparently inexorably, towards a Democratic nomination, we are reminded, and Bernie said this, and he's absolutely right. He has won on the issues. He has lost on electability, apparently, but he has won on the issues. And we are reminded about how right Bernie has been. The issues that we're talking about battling the coronavirus, many of these are things that we should be implementing even not in the face of a virus. And these are things that Bernie Sanders has been calling for for years, in addition to competent government money out of government, all the other things that have now been basically hallmarks of the Democratic race for the nomination for presidency. It is a reminder of what a Biden presidency will need to look like. Yes, I have reminded you, and we keep being reminded, that if Biden is the candidate, he will be the candidate with perhaps the most progressive agenda ever. Certainly the most progressive agenda in probably your life, and well, can't say certainly and probably, in most of my viewers or listeners' lifetimes. And that's where Sanders has already won. But we're going to need a lot more than a progressive agenda. 
Maybe some of the deal, by the way, that Sanders will be able to broker in order to throw his support behind Biden and unify the Democratic Party, which I expect is coming in the not-too-distant future, is a huge role in writing the Democratic platform. But we're going to need a lot more than that. We're going to need a president who is willing to fight for that. We're going to need a president who is willing to fight for everything. This is the concern that I have had all along with Joe Biden. Who's always seemed like his heart is basically in the right place. Who's been saying the right things generally from a progressive side. But who has simply not been a fighter. And not been a partisan that this country needs right now. To battle the epidemic that is the Republican Party. And Trumpism. It is one thing to, to run on your ability to govern. It is another thing to run on your ability to negotiate with another side that knows nothing but appeasement. Biden's tendency to appeasement is something that the Democrats are going to have to guard against. There was an interesting op-ed in the New York Times today by Will Wilkinson. The op-ed arguing that what we need in America today is Warrenism. That basically we need to fight the fight on behalf of citizens of this country and understand how rigged the game is without calling ourselves socialists, but understanding that we are going to need to fight these battles. As a quick reminder of what we are up against, we'll go into briefly a little bit of news this week. Eric Prince, he of Blackwater, the total sleazebag billionaire who makes his money off of military for hire, soldiers of fortune, The brother of Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, it turns out, has been recruiting former spies to infiltrate liberal groups all around this country. This is what we are up against, and the Democratic Party had better not ever forget that fact. Anyway, that's our show. Be safe. I'll talk to you soon about current events, hopefully not just including the coronavirus. Until then, be well. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 